Tonight we're going to be reading Romans 1, verses 1 to 7 again. This is God's holy and infallible word for us, his people. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, last week I started out by talking about the Saturn V rockets that the United States used to launch astronauts to the moon, and I'm going to continue that rocket theme for this week, but we're going to talk about a very different rocket tonight. In October of 1957, the Soviet Union launched Sputnik 1, the first human satellite that had ever successfully gone up into space and gone into orbit around the Earth. And of course, if you know your history, relationships between the Soviet Union and the United States were pretty chilly at that time, and for quite a few years after that, and the U.S. was not happy to see the Soviets get ahead in the space race. So the U.S. space program went into overdrive, and just a couple months later, in December of 1957, they had a rocket ready to carry the first U.S. satellite into space. And this rocket was called the Vanguard TV-3. The rocket was tiny compared to other ones, but it probably was about the height of the tallest point of the sanctuary, And it didn't carry any people or anything. It just carried a little satellite that was supposed to go up into space so the U.S. could catch up with the Soviets. Now, the U.S. had been working on this project for a while, but the huge rush those couple months to get something up into orbit meant that everything didn't get put together quite right. They'd been running test flights and such, but their setup just wasn't really quite ready. It all had to happen way too fast. So now we're going to watch just a short video of how that launch went. You'll see them first putting the satellite up on top of the rocket, and then we'll watch the launch. Not a good day for the U.S. space program. As you saw, about two seconds after the rocket lifted off, when it was about four feet off the ground, the rocket lost power. Instead of going up into space, it came back onto its launch pad. Its fuel tanks exploded, its other fuel tanks exploded, and everything just went to pieces. But the satellite on top of that rocket that was supposed to go up into space actually got launched by that explosion. It flew a few dozen feet in the air, and then it landed in some bushes just a little ways away from the launch pad. And then that satellite, just like it was designed to do, started transmitting data. Beep, beep, beep. Here's what the atmospheric pressure is two feet above the ground. Here's what the temperature is. Beep, beep, beep went the satellite sitting in bushes just above the ground. If you're going to try to get something up into space, you had better get the initial stuff right. If you don't get the launch pad set up right, if you don't get the rocket built just right, if you don't get everything set right at the beginning, you are not going to get anywhere. And you'll end up with a satellite sitting down on the ground in a bush instead of launched up into space and doing what you want it to do. Now, in these first seven verses of Romans, we see Paul trying to get everything set up right 
to get the Romans going in the right way. When it comes to the faith, just like with the space program, if you don't get the launch pad set up just right, if you don't get things set at the beginning, you aren't really going to get anywhere. Now, in last week's sermon on this text, we looked at Paul and the Romans, and we looked at how Paul introduced himself and how he addressed the Romans in these verses. I mentioned last week that Paul had never been to Rome when he wrote this letter, so he's introducing himself to people he had never met. And he introduces himself as a servant of Christ Jesus as an, and as an apostle, called and set apart for the gospel of God. And as we unpacked those terms last week, we saw that Paul portrays himself as someone who stands in a special relationship to Jesus, as someone who is a special messenger from God, sent to bring God's good news to his people. Paul, an apostle of the gospel, a messenger of God's good news. And in these verses, Paul addresses the believers in Rome as a people loved by God and called to be his people, called to belong to Jesus. Paul could have called the Romans anything he wanted to, but he focused, them on a, focused on them as God's beloved people and God's people called to belong to Jesus Christ. In the opening of this really significant letter, Paul wants to establish who he is as an apostle and also who the Romans are as God's people. But most of all, and this is what we're going to focus on tonight, most of all, Paul wants to establish that both he and his audience are set on the foundation of Christ Jesus. Paul has a lot to say in this book about God's people and about God's plan and about how God's people respond to God's work. But everything starts with Christ Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord. Without that starting point, Paul's whole project is going to be a non-starter. Paul knew that if he didn't build everything on Jesus, everything else he had to say was going to be about as useful as a satellite sitting two feet above the ground, sending out signals about what the atmosphere is like in a bush. So Paul wants his audience to understand that their shared foundation is in Christ Jesus, and he also wants to draw their attention to a couple key things about Jesus our Lord. Now the NIV rearranges the original order of the phrases in verses 3 and 4 a little bit to make them flow a little better, but if you lay Paul's words out in their original order, you can see some pretty clear parallels between verse 3 and verse 4 in how Paul talks about Jesus, the Son of God. As you can see on the slide, Paul starts out by saying that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you look at the left column there, the Son of God who has come from the seed of David according to his human nature. Jesus, the Son of God who has come from the seed of David according to his human nature. And then if you look at the other column, Paul, Paul goes on to say, Jesus, the Son of God, who was declared with power to be the Son of God through the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus, the Son of God, who was declared with power to be the Son of God through the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. That, uh, that flows a little bit smoother in Greek, if you can believe it. Now, some people think that Paul was trying to emphasize with this parallel, he was trying to emphasize that Jesus was truly human and truly divine. Jesus, truly human and truly divine. So you have this first bit talking about how Jesus was descended from David according to his human nature to emphasize that Jesus was truly human. And then you have the next bit about how Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power through the Holy Spirit by his resurrection from the dead in order to emphasize that Jesus is truly God. 
So you can look at these verses and come out with a picture of Jesus as truly human and truly divine, the human descendant of David and also the Son of God. And certainly we today profess that to be true. We believe that Jesus is one of the three persons of the Trinity, eternally and truly God. We also believe that Jesus really did take on human nature. The eternal Son of God became a true human being. Jesus didn't just appear to be a human being. He didn't just pretend to be a human being. He wasn't just God with a sort of partial human wrapper on. He was truly, fully human, like us in everything except sin. Jesus was truly human and truly divine. And that truly matters. There's different ways to explain this, but one of the classic ways is to think about this in terms of a debt. When people sinned, we took out an infinite debt against God. We had sinned against an infinite God, and the penalty of that sin was infinite. And of course, there's no way any human being could pay off an infinite debt. Only God, the infinite, all-powerful, eternal God can do that. And so our Savior had to be truly God. But at the same time, our Savior would have to be somehow identified with us, would have to somehow be identified with humanity if he was to really save all of us. So our Savior had to be truly human. And in Jesus, we find precisely that. Truly human, truly divine, truly our Savior. But while that's important, and while that's part of what Paul is talking about here, I don't think it's the main point that he wants us to get out of these verses. The text does give us reason to reflect on Jesus, the God-man, truly human, truly divine. But Paul's primary focus here is on Jesus as the center of history. Jesus at the center of history. Paul probably wrote the book of Romans to a church or to a group of churches at Rome that were a mix of Jewish and Gentile Christians. And so you can guess that those people, as they sat together, as they read the Old Testament, as they talked through the good news of Jesus, they were really struggling with how to make the whole story of salvation work together. That's one thing that Paul wants to address in his letter, and we'll see that again and again as we go through it. But Paul starts out here by putting Jesus at the very center of salvation history. So Paul starts in verse 2 talking about the gospel that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. And then he goes on in verse 3, and with that first column that we looked at, he gives some descriptions of Jesus that point back to God's work in the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who the whole Old Testament is about. Jesus is the one who all of the leaders of the people in the Old Testament were pointing to. Jesus is the promised descendant of David who would be God's king forever over his people. So Paul starts by looking back over the broad sweep of salvation history, over all the stories of the Old Testament, and he points them all to Jesus. And then Paul goes on and he talks about Jesus' present work. You may have noticed earlier in verse 4, it actually says that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God. Other Other translations say that Jesus was appointed the Son of God. Now, if your theological radar is set to pretty sensitive, that might get you going a bit. And there's been some groups that have argued from texts like this that Paul and others actually believed that Jesus became God's son. Jesus was a really good man, and so somehow, for some reason, God appointed him his son. It was a new thing. It was something that Jesus, who was human, became divine. 
Now, obviously, that's not what Christians really believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. And that's not what Paul is trying to say here. The word declared in this verse doesn't have that sense of someone becoming something essentially new. It more has the sense of someone taking on a new task, of someone stepping into a new role. Jesus was God's son from all eternity. Nothing in his life as a human being changed that, and nothing will ever change that. Jesus is the eternal son of God, an eternal member of the Trinity. That's how it is. But there does seem to have been some things that changed at Jesus' first coming. When Jesus died and rose again from the dead, he saved us, but he also brought in a new era in salvation history. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was declared the king of all things. And of course, God has always ruled. He's always had power over everything. But when Jesus came and Jesus did his work, and Jesus ascended again to God's right hand, Jesus was beginning to make God's reign and God's kingdom more and more evident and obvious in our world. By the sign of his resurrection, Jesus showed his superiority over all other authorities, earthly and cosmic, human and demonic, and even over the power of death. Jesus' work was at the absolute center of history. Jesus' work was the hinge that turned history and sent it in a new direction. Christ is now seated at the Father's right hand, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. So when Paul talks about Jesus here, he's giving us this picture as Jesus the King who sits at the center of history. Jesus Christ is truly our Lord, and he is truly the Lord of all things, And he truly stands with all authority in heaven and on earth. Now that sounds like pretty high and exalted stuff. And it is that. But it also has some really practical implications for us today. Most of all, the fact that Jesus reigns as king means that we have the ultimate authority on our side and by our side in all things. If Jesus truly is the king, then he is greater than anything else that this world, than anything else that the demons themselves can throw at us. If Jesus is truly the, truly the king, he has authority over everything else. We do have lots and lots of powers to be afraid of in the world today. Extremist terrorists continue to be a threat around the world. There are power-hungry nations and power-hungry world leaders who don't seem to care about the consequences of their actions. There are even people, even leaders in our country who we have good reason to be worried about, who we have good reason sometimes to be, well, to find kind of frightening. But in the end, Jesus Christ is truly the King. And as the Catechism says, Christ, by his power, defends us and keeps us safe from all enemies. Jesus Christ will keep his people ultimately safe. Sometimes we pass through fires and through floods and really hard and terrible things. But if our foundation is Christ Jesus, we can be assured that Jesus does keep us safe and he does lead us on the road to eternal life in him. So in his greetings to the Romans, Paul is all about getting believers to turn their eyes to Jesus, the Son of God, and our forever Lord. 
And the most important question we can deal with in these verses, in all the book of Romans, and in all of our lives, is this question of what we do with Jesus. Do we make Jesus our foundation? Do we build everything on him? Is Jesus our starting point and our all in all? Churches and individuals can make a lot of things our foundation, our starting point. We can hang on to our old habits no matter what and make them our foundation. Or we can make the latest trends our foundation and keep running after the latest trendy thing wherever that takes us. We can decide to be all about whatever will keep people happy, whatever will keep people coming in the doors. We can decide to be all about appearances, about looking cool, about keeping up with everybody else. We can center our lives on being comfortable and staying safe. We can define ourselves and our lives by all kinds of things. We can settle on all kinds of foundations, some of them bad and some of them relatively good. But there is only one foundation that is truly strong enough for all eternity. And that foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end of the journey of faith. So if you don't take anything else home from this sermon today, take this. Jesus Christ has to be the center of our faith, the center of our lives, the center of everything we do as Christians. God loves us as his people. God has called us to follow him. In Christ, God has poured out his grace and his peace on us. In Jesus, God has given us new life, and that new life is all about being connected to Jesus. It's all about having everything we do and more and more everything we are be defined by our allegiance to Christ and by our growing in Christ-likeness. We have got to be founded on Christ or everything else we do, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter how well-planned, will end up crashing back to earth. Jesus can do great things with us when he is our foundation, but if Jesus isn't our foundation, everything we do will be like that satellite crashing back to earth in an explosion and then doing totally, totally useless things after that. Jesus Christ is at the center of history. May he also be at the center of all of our lives.